Welcome to another episode of Silverbacks Valley, a podcast brought to you by Silverbacks Holdings. Despite the global venture funding decline, African startups continue to beat the odds. Several reports have confirmed that African startups attracted $6.5 billion in equity and debt funding, their highest level of funding ever recorded in 2022. Today, the Valley welcomes two women who are busy supporting founders, growing dominant platforms from Africa to the rest of the world. Fopea de Lowo serves as principal at Elios Investment Partners, where she oversees tech and ICT-focused transactions. Elios was founded in 2004 by Baba Tunde Soyoye and Tope Lawani. It is the largest Africa-focused private equity firm managing over $3 billion in assets. It began trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange in 2020 and became the first alternative investment manager focused on Africa to do so. Elios Investment Partners is also the largest institutional investor in NBA Africa, which is valued at $1 billion. Our second guest is Lexi Novitske. As a venture investor, Lexi moved to Lagos, Nigeria, where she launched Singularity Investments in 2014. The company supported key market players such as Flutterwave, Paystack, and Mpharma. She went on to become managing partner at Equity Ventures before recently joining Norskin 22, a tech growth fund backed by an international network of unicorn founders. Well, I am glad to be a massive minority here, being with uh, two strong, powerful, and successful women. Uh, Obviously, uh, they say there's a lot of inequity, gender balance that I require, but you guys seem to disprove the theory. So why don't we start with uh, you, Lexi? Tell us about your story. So I moved out to Nigeria 10 years ago, originally to work in private equity, but started one of the first venture capital firms on the ground there. And we invested in kind of the first wave of Africa tech companies that became big success stories. So Paystack, which was acquired by Stripe, Flutterwave, which was one of the continent's first unicorns. Um, After the success of our first fund, we had a second fund, continued to invest in in mostly seed stage companies, but we were seeing a a really big gap when those companies were trying to really scale up and expand across the continent. There was this whole desert of capital at the Series A, Series B stage. So we really saw a huge opportunity to come in as a local investment partner to, to help back companies go through that that scalable um, opportunity set across the continent and joined forces with a couple of other partners, another one who is a female, by the way, so a lot of powerful women in this industry, um, to set up Norskin 22. So we invest in the next wave of unicorns across the African continent um, with a primary focus on Nigeria, Kenya, Southern Africa, but we can really invest across the entire continent. Fantastic. I also hear that uh, the bulk of your LPs are former unicorn founders. How did that come about to, in terms of intersecting all these uh, unusual folks? You know, something that, that we noticed is a lot of the founders that we were dealing with, even if they're second time, third time founders, many of them haven't built billion dollar plus companies. And 
There's a lot more challenges that come with that scale. Um, challenges from managing large teams, from really understanding how to acquire much larger customer sets, how to build a scalable product platform. And we thought it was really important to have founders that had built these scalable businesses in many of the same industries that the Africa tech founders are building on the continent that our founders that we invest in can really leverage off of their expertise and mentorships as, as they expand. So these unicorn founders are all investors into our fund. So they're certainly aligned for the success of our investee companies. And they've been incredibly involved. That is fabulous. That is fabulous. Hope obviously have a phenomenal original story as well. Why don't you tell us a bit about it and how did you come uh, in love with the world of private equity and venture? Yeah, so, um, I, you know, someone asked me this question yesterday. I think I sort of fell into it, I would say. Um, so I th after, I, st I have an engineering background, um, and I think I've always had this love for tech in some way, shape, or form. Um, but I, you know, worked as an investment banker in my sort of previous life. And then after that, I realized that what I wanted to do was really just work closely with companies and help people build businesses. Um, so that led me to go into business school. I moved back to Nigeria briefly. I actually worked, worked with um, what is now Jumia, but when it was something else, it was uh, Sabunta and Kasua, so the very early stages of, of Jumia. And for me, that was just, um, you know, I was moving back to Nigeria as an adult and I was seeing a certain energy um, in people in Nigeria, just keen to do something with their lives, keen to build something that didn't exist before. And it was such an exciting time. And, you know, we were basically creating things that didn't exist. We were solving problems, you know, literally every day there was a new problem that no one had seen before and we were trying to figure out how to solve it. And I was surrounded by these extremely smart, motivated people that just wanted to build and wanted to deliver on something that, you know, they felt could be, you know, what everyone says, the Amazon of, of, of Africa. So anyway, long story short, that led me um, down into private equity. So I started out with um, Helios, and I was actually working mostly in Nigeria at the time, working with our tech companies, actually. So worked very closely with Interswitch, um, did a little bit of work with Helios Towers Nigeria. We had an e-commerce e company called More for Africa. So that was sort of my first sort of stint into private equity, both technology and private equity. Over time, sort of built on that experience and... Um, you know, really now leading all the technology investments in, in the private equity fund. But I think one of the things that we realized was, well, you know, a lot of the businesses that Lexi talked about, we saw some of these businesses early on. But within the private equity fund, we couldn't really invest in those businesses because just the risk model doesn't allow you to do that. And so there's some sense of frustration of seeing these businesses feeling like we could actually support them to you know, become, you know, the businesses that we had exited or IPO'd and we just couldn't do that with some of the earlier stage businesses. And I think that was really the foundation of us, you know, launching our venture capital fund, Helios Digital Ventures, which similar to what Lexi said, for us, it's really about bringing capital, but also the local expertise to really grow those businesses. So if I look at Helios, we are people mostly with an African background, have trained elsewhere in the world. We know the continent. We've built businesses from scratch. Helios Towers was literally a you know, business plan on paper. We built that, we IPO that. So we've actually built and scaled these technology businesses and we have that, I think, toolkit in our in our platform. And so we felt like when you look at where venture capital investing has gone in in the last, uh, you know, five years, 
majority of that is in the sort of pre-Series A seed stage, and then there's a big drop when it comes to Series A and B investments. That drop in Africa is probably about 80%. And I think you do know that actually you always have a drop because of survival ratios. But if you compare that drop to US or the UK, that drop is somewhere like 60%. So there's a massive drop in Africa when you look at the, the ratios. And so for us, we felt like there was this big opportunity in the sort of Series B investment stage and um, going forward. But what's important there, as you know, you would know, is execution becomes really important, right? Um, it's not easy growing businesses in Africa, and we feel like we have that toolkit as Helios um, because we've done it. We've proven that we can exit these technology businesses. And so we want to be able to support founders with capital, but local expertise, um, growing them, leveraging our platform, our relationships in 33 countries across Africa, and hopefully taking them to exit. So that's That really is awesome. excellent. That is excellent. Now, what would you say uh, is the key requirement, key ingredient young ladies need to nurture in order to pierce uh, for both of you? Because obviously, uh, forget the high ceiling, sometimes the door yeah. is a fundamental issue. It's important uh, for the young ladies listening. I have a daughter myself to know what are the tricks for the fast track to excellence. Yeah, so um, I, I, I mean, I'm not sure this is the same path for everybody, but I think that I portrayed a lot more confidence than they maybe held internally. Um, I still think finance in general, venture capital less so, but, but certainly finance in general is still very much a male-dominated field. And to compete with other talent, um, we all know that many men, yourself excluded, I'm sure, <laughs> hold a very high air of confidence. And, you know, they'll portray their skill set as higher than it normally is. They'll have a lot more confidence in, in maybe deal propositions that they're bringing forward. Um, and, and women, I think, are have a tendency to have been, you know, kind of put in this box where you should only speak what you can, can rightfully do. Don't over commit, don't over promise, make sure that you can execute on it. And you better be able to execute 10 times better than your male counterparts, by the way, or else you won't be noticed. Um, so I think that that confidence bit certainly played a, a role. I mean, I, I certainly built the skills to back it up. So I have a, a long education in finance, um, which I think was a key fundamental building block. But I think also probably building out my network and um, learning and having mentors and peers that have maybe gone through the journey before, that was something that you know really helped me not only build my confidence, but also my own learnings and my skill sets probably faster than if I had just gone the journey alone. So um, yes, yeah, those are certainly the two aspects. Okay. So I would, I would uh, just to confirm, have faith in yourself, trust, build the skill for the trust and confidence. And last, obviously, execute. Absolutely. I mean, you, you definitely have to execute. I would add one more thing to that. Um, one thing that I think really drove a lot of my career was my comfort in taking risk. Um, 
I am American. I had never even set foot in Africa in, in in Nigeria before. Didn't know anybody in Nigeria when I took the job and moved out there. A couple years later, I left a job. Was in Nigeria without a, a visa. Don't tell the authorities, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no job, no house, because I wanted to build my own platform. Um, and when I did, I put all of my own personal money into it. Right, I did deals with my my own bank account. Couldn't even get my my parents to help with that funding. They didn't really believe in the the opportunity, and it was that willingness to to take risk and the conviction in really the opportunity set that I saw that I think made me uh, it made me able to really show the execution. It made me able to show the track record and really show that the conviction that I felt for the opportunity set was there, and I was seeing it in the numbers. Look, I agree with a lot of what Lexi said, um, and then you know I'll add a little bit to it. So. You know, for me, I often find in the world of finance, I'm literally the only black woman in a room. Um, and it's, it's, I'm actually, I'm also the only girl of, of, um, of you know, in my family of, of three. So first of all, I'm used to being around men. It's sort of in my DNA. I grew up with it. I used to be a tomboy. That was my life. Um, but actually at work now, I'm often the only woman and often the only black woman. And um, I do think growing up in Nigeria is helpful because it does give you a sense of, you know, confidence and, of, and knowledge in yourself. But, I, you know, when you le- leave Nigeria, you tend to, you start to mirror certain different things that people are bringing to you. But I do think in that it's important to recognize and it's, you know, for me, it's also been a growing experience, learning experience for myself, which is that my perspective is different, but it's valuable. And so I think oftentimes women sit in rooms, and to your point, Lexi, you know, men say things that you're probably thinking, but in your mind you're thinking, ah, oh, that doesn't sound smart enough. But you know, a guy says it as they say in Nigeria with his full chest, and <laughs> and you're like, well, I I was thinking exactly that. And so what I've come to realize is, yes, your your the way you think about things is different, but that's valuable. That is why you're in the room. That's why you have a seat at the table, and you have to make sure that that voice is heard. And oftentimes, the other people are not even thinking about what you're thinking, and it's actually very valuable insight. Mm. And so I've found that you know it's important to push myself, you know, say what I think, say what I believe, and say it with confidence, and make sure people can hear it. So that's the first thing I would say. I'd say it's also important, actually, to have people call out the skills and the gifts that are inside of you, mm. and that comes in lots of different ways. It's sponsors, it's mentors, it's friends, mm. but I think it's important to have that. Um, because sometimes you know what you have, um, but you may not believe it. And it's it's nice, it's encouraging, it's supportive um, to hear it from someone who is in your environment, who's maybe more senior than you, that can call those gifts out. So I think that's another um, important element. And I'll say the last one as women is also pushing back. You know, raising our voices when things are imbalanced in a room. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I remember a recent situation. I was um, we were on a, on a call on a deal, and I was the leader on the deal. But there was another white man on the call. But the other side, even though I was one leading all the questions, he proceeded at the end of the call to say, you know, to the white man on the call that, you know, I'll, I'll get in contact with you. And it was funny because the guy had said, "I'm not the leader on this deal. I have no idea what you're talking about. This is a person who leads it." And so that still happens. But I think, but I called that out and I called it out with my colleague who um, also made sure that he made that very clear to the other side. And obviously that dynamic changed. So I think as women, we also have that power to call things out when there's an imbalance. And I think it's important that we continue to do that. Fantastic. So I like the sequence. Find your voice, believe in it, 
but I find a mentor to echo it, validate it, feedback. And then third, don't be scared to call a cat a cat and call the bullshit. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, that's Definitely. lovely. Now, talking about uh, inequities, do you find that with all your progress, uh, what has happened to women up to now, you uncovering better equity in remuneration, compensation, getting uh, part of the carry, those discussions at any level are obviously not easy, but I can only imagine for women it could be another uh, level of challenge. How uh, how do you find any progress uh, to have happened over the years? Yeah. So I mean, um, I mean globally, and, and and I think that this is an important number because it it shows that there's actually a barrier to women coming into the top of finance positions. So globally, women in finance are about thirty percent of the workforce. But in the C-suite, that drops to 17%. And I would say on the African continent, that's even much less. Um, and I think that what you see is, is there's through kind of this trajectory, there's a lot of frustration with not only imbalances in remuneration, but opportunities that are put forward to a lot of these very highly skilled women that are in the workforce. And then other, you know, family responsibilities. There are social barriers that come out in, you know, many conservative families, many um, political situations across, especially many of the African countries. I think Nigeria has done fairly well at that, especially in, in kind of the corporate workforce, but um, there's still a lot of progress to be made there. And that's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, that's the problem we need to solve first. How can we make sure that women that are coming through these lower level positions, which is an important pipeline problem in itself, how do we make sure that they're they have the opportunity set put forward to them, the mentorship, and, and we have a responsibility to do that also with women coming through the workforce to show how they can really move into these C-suite positions, capture economics in the firms that they're building, and absolutely have the same sort of equal pay, equal liberty and sort of life flexibility that their male counterparts have. Um, but it's something that I think the industry together needs to work at, and women that have made it through our previous generation have an obligation to also help those women that are coming up through the junior ranks as well. Amazing. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So I think pipeline is important. Representation is also important because you need people, women, at senior levels who are making those decisions. Um, I'll tell you an interesting stat that I read the other day. So, And this is important because when it comes to remuneration, a lot of that is driven by, you know, you have your review system and then whatever promotion or remuneration for that person is decided based on that review. I think it's something like 60 to 70 women in their reviews often have something related to their personality. Mm. You know what that number is for men? Take a while, guess. Zero. Two percent. Two percent. Two percent. So if you put that in context, mm. women are often knocked down in terms of their review, their performance based on some personality trait she's too aggressive she's too nice and on a man it's mostly based on his performance mm. 
So there's still a lot of work to do because that is a very recent stat. There's still a lot of work to do because those are the sorts of things that determine pay, that determine mm. promotions, that determine your effectiveness as a leader. Mm. Um, so I think calling out these um, imbalances, like I said before, are important. I think what Lexa said is true in terms of mentorship and actually really creating that pipeline. But I also think for leaders, male or female, it's important to recognize when you are in reviews, what are you saying about the woman? What exactly is the feedback that you're giving to her? Mm. Um, and what support then are you providing from a performance-based uh, perspective especially? Um, but it's, it's just something that struck me and I do think you know people need to be much more aware wow. of that. Today's episode is sponsored by Super Returns Africa. Super Returns provides the leading venture capital and private equity events across the globe. It features the biggest players in the industry. Its Africa chapter meets annually in Cape Town. They deal with over 400 business leaders, including GPs and LPs. Together, they explore Africa's most crucial trends, challenges, and innovations. We at Silverbacks Valley are big fans. A fascinating uh, statistic. Now, this, this definitely, uh, I think, nails uh, the issue, so there's still a lot of work to be done, clearly, in, in summary. There is a quote uh, that I like that says, uh, we're all running away from something and running towards something. What is it for you? personally or in your career? Uh, well, let me give me a little bit more time to think about it. But <laughs> <laughs> right now I'm running away from long flights. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think something that's shifted over my own career trajectory is, although we very much invest for commercial returns. And we believe that showing that investing in companies across the African continent can show just as great of returns as investing in the US or the European market, and that will further attract investment capital and build entrepreneurship. I think my mindset and my motivation has shifted from wealth gain to what I can do to give back. And and that's overall in impact into the, the mass market. It's close relationships with one-on-one. -on -one. Oftentimes, you know, our entrepreneurs or women in finance that are coming through the industry. And I would say that that kind of mission-driven work has become a lot more important for me personally over the years. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. How about you? Um, it's an interesting question. I think it, you there are lots of ways to look at that personal, you know, career-wise, um, but I would say in general, I often find myself in situations where I am one of the only something. So like I said, it's either I'm one of, you know, the only black woman, the only woman. Um, you know, even in my sort of moving from private equity to, to venture capital, it's, you know, even that mm -hmm. is I'm one of. Yes. Um, but I, I think that's special in a way because I do think it brings a different perspective. And so I think what I run towards, not just for me, but for people around me, is breaking barriers, breaking preconceived notions of what success looks like, what a woman in PE or VC should look like, what a person that does VC should look like. So I think I'm running more towards that because I think it makes space mm. for people to move beyond 
um, walls or, or the ceilings that have been set mm. on them by other people mm. that don't take into account what they are. I remember someone said something and it was really interesting. It said, um, um, the reason your, your calling was not a, you know, your calling is for you. It was not a conference call. It was just between you and, you know, God who gave you that calling, but it wasn't a conference call. And so it's that recognition that within you, there's always something. People outside of you may define that as something different, but actually running towards that true thing that is inside of you and those gifts um, and making sure that you, you be all of those things that you can be. So... Fantastic. Well, on, on that basis, what would you call your superpower, each of you, if it had to be one? Yeah, so um, so I, I'm an extreme introvert, although many of my friends and certainly people in the industry don't know that about me. But I actually think my introvertedness allows me to step back and observe, especially people's personalities and their own motivations. And if there's one thing that I have done well, I think it's being able to qualitatively assess a person and how they would be as a founder, but also how they would be as a manager and a leader in their companies. And I would say professionally and probably personally that that has been my superpower. That has served you well. Excellent. How about you, Fope? Um, I think it's, it's being able to tell a story. Um, I think it's important when you're investing because you do need to, you need to be able to tell a story about what it is that you're backing, about the founder, as you said, about their motivations, but I think also about what that business can become. Um, and I think even with that, being able to, to tell that story, I can't remember which investor said it. It's, it. He said, when you're doing venture capital, you have to hold two truths, two things as true in your mind, that this business can be, you know, whatever, a billion dollar business. And you have to have a story that allows you to believe that. But at the same time, you have to, you, you have to hold the truth that it could be zero. Correct. Correct. Um, and you have to have a story that allows you to believe that. But I think for me, it's good at just taking those different data points and telling a story. Telling a story to myself, telling a story to people, telling a story to the founders to, you know, let me in on their cap table. But also telling a story to people that you have to convince that this is a company to back, this is a founder to back. Um, and I think, you know, it's the same in all of my other relationships. So I would say it's telling stories. Superb, superb. Now, if you were given a chance to speak to the version of you when you were 18, what would be that short message? I mean, um, this is maybe advice that I would not only give to my, my previous self, but, but maybe other women also coming in, into finance. Um, I think that... You know, so much of my career I've, I've tried, and this is kind of counterintuitive to what I, the response to your very first question, but I, you know, tried to shift my personality and my demeanor to fit into a very male-dominated industry, and that also meant that things in my, in my personal life suffered, right? Like, I, I didn't focus on having a family for many years. I put all of my time and effort into my career, um... I neglected a lot of friendships, but I also kind of portrayed myself as being a kind of this, you know, a much more confident person, which I needed to do to, to be successful in the finance industry. But I think that's shifted a lot today. I think now you can, and, and you know, a, a, a woman said this the other night, that you, 
might not be the best example for the women coming through the industry anymore because the industry is changing and there needs to be a lot more flexibility that leaves room for people to be their true self and express that true self and to nurture relationships and have a family because that's what's going to make them a well-rounded person and that's what's going to make you very happy in the long term. I would add to that, you know, not being afraid of the decisions. I think at 18... 25, and then I won't go on to, so that you don't really know my real age. But those ages... I, I thought you guys were all still 18. I thought that was going to be exactly. the answer. <laughs> you, um, I think you spend a lot of time thinking about the decisions you're making. I think it's a good thing. Mm. But I think sometimes you sort of overanalyze, which means you don't take risks at that age. Mm. And, I, and, you know, I think looking back now, those, that's the age where you know, you're most receptive, most open to, to learning, to seeing the world in a different way. And I would say I would give myself that room to actually see the world and to see different perspectives and, you know, over time come to what I believe is true for me. Um, so that's, that would, that's the advice I would give to my 18-year-old self. Robust. Love it. Yeah, that's beautiful too. In terms of uh, inspiration, uh, please name a woman that you feel has inspired the most for each of you? And then the closing question will be, what is your favorite book or podcast of the moment? So a couple of podcasts that I listen to very regularly are Invest Like the Best. Um, just a shout out if they want to ever have me on. Okay, and I would be both happy to join. Um, but I also am, you know, I think if I had... To reinvent myself, I would do something in behavioral economics. I think that the, the um, psychology and economics and the financial decisions that come out of biases and past experiences are, are very interesting. So I, a couple of my podcasts, like Freakonomics, for example, are very much around that. Mm, 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 mm. Love that. The woman inspiration. So... Um, this is kind of a, a little bit of cop-out. I might actually mention two. Um, so one is my mother. Um, and she she would never say this about herself. She thinks that she was, um, she was very obsessed with her hobbies, which was equestrian. And she felt that she threw all of her time and energy into that and that she wasn't as present as a mother. Um, I saw her as an incredible example of somebody that could go towards their goals, put everything into it, and be, you know, your passion, work hard, and achieve um, crazy things, even if you didn't necessarily have, you know, the, the resources or the background to be able to do that. But I'd also like to mention somebody from very early in my career, um, a woman named Mildred Collier, and she's at uh, DFC today, but she she was a senior principal at the, the very first Africa-focused private equity firm I worked at. And she, um, she was a great example of somebody who had done all these things that I spoke about. So she was certainly had been a high ch achiever in her career, but she had a very balanced family life. Um, she actually had a working farm and she acted as such a, a great mentor. I mean, I was a nobody then. And she, through all these years, we, you know, we've kept in touch. She's certainly a, 
not only uh, applauded my progress, but I think opened a lot of doors to me and gave me a lot of feedback on mm. how to kind of build this career and this life that I wanted to have. Um, mm. So, yeah. I would also say my mom. But, and if you asked me this question, I think two months ago, I'd have had a different answer. So I've just, you know, my mom was staying with me for the last month. Mm. And, um, you know, as you grow older, you see different parts to your parents, which you never appreciated when you were much younger. And I remember going through old pictures and I saw I came across this picture of her class at university and she was the only woman in her class. Um, she studied civil engineering and she was the only woman in her class. And I kept trying to figure out who the other women, there, there were literally no other women. And I knew it in my head, but I think I started to put two and two together. My mom is someone who you would call, and I would never have said this two months ago, but actually being in the same space with her for this period and putting all of this together, she is a force of nature. Like with her family, with her siblings, with her work people, she just gets stuff done. She mm. does not care if you say no. Mm. And, you know, it's something that I see with her. And obviously it's so frustrating when it's your mother. You're just like, I, don't, I can't do this. <laughs> but seeing her operate in that space with everybody else, it, it's incredible. She doesn't take no for an answer. Um, and, you know, it made me think about myself, which is sometimes I think when you're in the sort of English culture, you're kind of polite and, you know, it's very English. She does not do any of that. And for me, I thought, well, that is the sort of black girl power, African power, you know, that is coming out in her. And it made me think, yeah, I need to, you know, get more of that back, that spice back into my life. So I'd say my, my mother from that perspective. Um, the right. podcast that I like, um, there's two I've been listening to recently. I love the All In podcast. It's amazing. Yeah, it the four besties. I just, well. you know, the, the banter and everything. You know, I think we all dream of having similar sort of besties in our lives that we can talk about <laughs> anything and sound intelligent. So I think that's great. Uh, the other one I've been listening to recently, which is very interesting, but it's sort of more about relationships, is um, by someone called Esther Perel. She does a lot of work around relationships and it's, she, she's basically a psychologist who sits down in a room, but she lets her, she, she records her sessions with her patients. Wow. Um, it's really fascinating wow. just listening to all of the dynamics um, and listening to people talk about work or relationships or, you know, whatever, family. Um, and I think realizing that in a way we're all, you know, we, everyone is human. We all have the same emotions and feelings and it sort of connects you in a in an interesting way on a global level. So yeah, those are the two oh, that I love. Phenomenal. We'll have that on the show note. <laughs> Any departing questions for me? So Ibrahim, what are you doing for women in finance? So for women in finance, uh, first uh, the our chief uh, person for Com and Event that organize all of our podcasts in Silverback Valley is. Uh, is a woman called Ndei from Senegal. We poach from a few from a fabulous organization and a spectacular background. And then in our management team and our board on the non-podcast side, we have uh, only women. I'm the That's exception amazing. to the norm. There's three women and then myself on the board and then we have a, a non-executive directors. We have two other women. So the board is actually uh, controlled by women if you look at it numerically speaking. That's great. That's amazing. 
Thank you guys. This has been a blessing. Thank you I so think, much. Uh, we would love to have you again and uh, we wish you guys continue to enjoy this beautiful sun, this amazing valleys and Cape Town and we do more together. Yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Silverbacks Valley. If you want to hear from people who are building dominant platforms from Africa to the rest of the world, you can follow Silverbacks Valley on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Hami and AudioMac. Tune in.